we are starting a new series. And it's called, it's a complicated title. It's called Relational Reformation. Formation. I don't even know what the title is. And uh, uh, it's going to take a little bit of unpacking. But as we go through the sermon, it's going to become clear that what we want to look at, and we're going to take our time going through this series. Usually our series are four to six weeks. We're going to take some time on this one because we want to examine what it means to change. You know, everybody, uh, I think, has two things that are true. We all want to change. We all want to improve, but we don't know how. And so we want to take some time and actually unpack what the Bible teaches about how true and lasting change occurs. And I'm really excited about this. I have spent years uh, studying this topic, and we've never actually done a whole sermon series on it before. So I'm looking forward to unpacking this with you. The thing that we're going to be looking at today is the first way to have a better experience of positive change is to have a better reason. And I went online because I thought it would be amusing. And I wanted to look at what are people's, when you kind of go out there and, and look at what people say, what do they say is their top goal for life in wanting to change? And I'm pretty sure that we could guess that it's happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. Don't you want to be happy? I want to be happy. Um, and then to experience that, there seemed to be four main things that people were focusing on. It got kind of vague after the top four, but it seemed like for sure there were four things always going on. Uh, the first thing that people wanted to do to be happy is they wanted to increase their health. They were going to go on a diet, go to the gym more, uh, something like that. They wanted to get healthier, physically healthier. They wanted to make more money. That was uh, another common one. They wanted to decrease their anxiety. The first thing that was mentioned of something that they want to lessen was always anxiety. That's a fascinating thing. We're going to be devoting a whole section of this series on the topic of anxiety. And then there was a bunch of personal goals. Uh, people wanted to read more. They wanted to go back to school. They wanted to spend more time with their family and friends. Uh, things like that. Uh, what shocked me is that when you look at what the landscape is of what people want to change and what they change towards, no one is talking about love. <clears throat> that just, it doesn't, it doesn't make the list. Now, if you, I know that if you would talk to somebody and say, do you want to be more loving? Of course, they'd say yes. But when they're not being asked that question, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about other kinds of things. Now, the closest was wanting to spend more time with you know, family and friends. But, uh, but yeah. So here's the, here's the problem with this, is that nothing really changes. You just kind of cycle through stuff. Uh, you know, not for don't show me your hands. Uh, how many of you have started a diet? over and over and over again. I mean, we just keep doing that. Uh, we keep wanting to be more determined and really try to do better in studying or something. 
And it seems like we just kind of cycle through these goals, hoping that this time we're going to be happier and more successful than the last time we did it. I would venture to say that here's the problem with making happiness your goal, is that it's a symptom, it's not a root. The harder you work on happiness, the more elusive it's going to be for this simple reason. Who are you thinking about when you want to be happier? Yourself. You're thinking about yourself. And self-centeredness never leads to happiness. Somebody should get that. Self-centeredness never leads to happiness. Isn't that a shocking thought? That you want to be happy, so you think about how to be happy, and the very fact that you thought about how to be happy means that you won't be happy. <clears throat> there's a, uh, there's a, a, a scripture verse that I find to be, uh, I mean, it's a little shocking, all right? So we'll try to make it accessible. But Jesus says in Mark 3.23, how can Satan drive out Satan? Now, if, uh, which I will get to in a moment, I have to jump ahead kind of to make sense of this point, and then I'll go forward. But I would venture to say that our biggest problem in life is our self-centeredness. And so how can self-centeredness drive out self-centeredness? If we make happiness our goal, uh, reading more this year, getting more fit, making more money, uh, being less anxious, whatever it is, and it's somehow about us having a better life, it means by definition it's not going to happen. Because a self-centered motivation can't drive out self-centeredness which is what our primary problem is. Now this is troubling, because what's our alternative? Well, fortunately, uh, the Bible does give us an alternative, and it's simply this. It's recorded in, I looked up 590 ways. But uh, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says, the, this is out of the New American Standard Version, so it's... Uh, might be a little different if you're looking up a different version. But it says, now this is Paul talking to the reason why he wrote uh, the stuff in the Bible. He says, the goal of our instruction is love. Matthew 10, 8 expands on this. It says, freely you have received, freely give. The God's top goal for your life is to receive and give love. That's his top goal. That's what's going on. That's what he's thinking about all the time for you. It's what motivates him. It's what caused him to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, to bring the power of the Holy Spirit, to extend forgiveness to you. You look at anything that the Bible is talking about, and it's trying to offer you two things, to receive a better love and to give a better love, his love. And so uh, that's what's going on in Christianity. If you... If you don't know that, uh, coming to church is a little boring, hey? Because what's going on is the reason why we've come together, the reason why we talk about 
our communities and our D groups and all the things that we're doing, we only ever have one desire, and that's to help you receive and give love better. Now, if you have the standard life goal, this makes no sense. Satan driving out Satan, really? That's what I came to church for. Talk about my selfishness? Why are you doing that? I just want to be happy. <clears throat> the, uh, the point of Christian community is only ever about love. That's what's going on. In, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it goes on in verse 15. It talks about what sound doctrine is. I didn't know if I'd say this, but I just think it's interesting. Um, when you think about what sound doctrine is, if you've been around the church, if you haven't, it just doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, sound truth or something solid. If you want to know what sound doctrine is, every time the Bible says sound doctrine, it describes loving behavior. So, uh, I've been working on this for a while. And so there's some things, if you're a Christian, that you kind of have to believe. We'll give you the list later. But it's, uh, it's a short list, but it is a list. And so, if, you, uh, if you're a Christian, you have to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You just have to do that. It's in the small print. So, uh, you, just, you just have to believe that. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins and he rose again. You just gotta, there's no way around. People can't, 2,000 years hasn't changed. The Bible is the authority in all matters of faith and conduct, non-negotiable. Okay? So, now, when you have that list, you go, oh, I should memorize the list. Because then I'll know if I'm in or if I'm out, right? Because you want to, I mean, if you want to be in. Uh, all those things, uh, and uh, another one I just got to say because it's super important, is you got to believe that you got to believe in the Trinity, that he's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You just got to believe that. Makes no sense, can't understand it, and you got to believe it. All right, so... Uh, all of that matters. Like people have, people, for that list of facts that I just gave you, people have been burned alive for those facts. Like burned alive. You go, really? Really? Why are those facts sound doctrine? Because as you believe them, they become the foundation of receiving and giving love. That's what makes them vitally important. The distinguishing factor between Christianity and every other religion is the fact that our relationship with God is built on his love and self-sacrifice, not on our performance. And for that to be true... Jesus needed to be God. And for him to be God, we need to believe in the virgin birth. Or he's not God, he's just another dude who died once. All those facts only are important because without them, you're not loved and you're not empowered to love. 
Sound doctrine is not a random list of facts. It's about love. So the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. Uh, the thing that used to motivate you, which was your personal happiness, don't worry about that anymore. I got that one. Here's your new job description. Do everything in love. That's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, there's not, there's, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to say, oh, but really that was leading to another thing. That's all that's ever going on. Is a new life motive, a new life purpose. Now, this goal of receiving and giving love, God's love, reframes what we work on, what we change towards. And I'm going to suggest three things. The first is our expectations of God. The first thing that this new life purpose changes is we change our expectations of what God will give us. When you look in the Old Testament of the Bible, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, the people complained primarily about two things. They hated it. War and drought. Super bad news. So every time you hear them complaining to God, they're complaining that they're not happy. Because you're not happy when people are killing you and you're starving. It just doesn't, you know, that's harder. And so, uh, so what they're, what they're uh, constantly complaining about are those two things. Every time God responds to their complaints, he responds with an entirely different agenda. And this is what he typically says. Uh, you're unfaithful to me. And it's there like, well, yeah, you don't solve our war problem or our drought problem. So, like, why would I devote myself to you when you never come through for me? Fair is fair, right? He says, uh, make you a deal. You give your heart to me and love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and I'll just do all the rest. Matthew 6.33 says, uh, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Now, you guys, for sure we don't believe that. For sure, right? There's no way we believe that. What? I get to seek God's kingdom. Don't even know what that means. God's righteousness. Barely know what that means either. And... Everything else, the whole passage before that is all about worry. The things that we worry about are clothes. It's the drought war thing. It's our, our clothes, what we're going to eat, all that stuff. So I don't have to worry about any of that if I seek you and a loving relationship with you first. Do you believe that? I mean, that's just a little tricky. 
It's a metaphor. It's an exaggeration. He doesn't exactly mean that. It's just a ordering of things. Uh, no. Now you look through all of Scripture, and he's saying, uh, devote yourself to me, and I'll take care of your life. Uh, I'll be your God, you be my people, and then I'll just take care of you a lot. And the only thing I've ever asked of you is for you to be faithful to me. And when you're an adulterer, when you run after uh, your happy desires, you betray our covenant, our relationship. You don't wait for me. You self-fulfill. And so I can't be your God, and I can't bless you, and so the droughts and wars come. And I even kind of help them come to wake you up to what really matters. Like, what a weird God. <laughs> like, his, all he's ever thinking about is whether we love him and he loves us. Like, that's, that's what's going on, and he believes that that's it for your life. So, uh, uh, to be a Christian, we reframe what we're expecting of God. <clears throat> and what he expects of us. I talk to people uh, every week who express to me their disappointment about God. Every week I meet with people and they talk about war or drought. Something's undermining my prosperity and I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not uh, satisfied and until he comes through for me, I doubt, you know, forget anything profound. I just doubt whether he exists or not. <clears throat> and unless our expectations change and line up with God's expectations, Christianity will always be a little hard to understand and even discouraging. Point number two. The second thing that changes is our energy, what we direct ourselves towards. Now, what's interesting is that Christians do basically the same things that non-Christians do, unbelievers do. You know, we go to work and sleep and sometimes get married and sometimes get an education and we do similar things. But the reason why we do those things is for an entirely different reason. We do them for a radically different reason. Let me, uh, let me explain this in terms of education. So I remember going to UBC, and, uh, and I was in arts. Don't laugh. <laughs> they all laughed back then, and they, <laughs> you still, I see the smirk on your face. You go, sorry, couldn't make it in science. Um, I was in arts. And, uh, <clears throat> Uh, lots of free time, hey? <laughs> it was outstanding. Anyways, so, uh, so I'm in arts, and, uh, and I'm trying to justify it to all my science, you know, roommates. 
and, and it was the best I had back then. I said, uh, you guys in science are just trying to get a job. I'm getting an education. <laughs> That's the best I had. <laughs> I still like that. Because there's something, it's inadequate, but there's something bigger going on than getting a job. So, uh, my hunch is, and I've talked to a few of you, the only reason why you're getting an education is because you just want a better job. The education is meaningless. And in fact, uh, I would want to do the least amount of learning possible to be happy. Like, I don't want to learn. I want to be happy. But to be happy, I have a particular job in mind that I think is going to make me happy. And then to get that job, they have these requirements. So here I am. And uh, what's the percentage for the midterms and finals for the weekly quizzes and for the papers. And I'll decide, you know, what I want to do to pass this stupid course so I can get happy later. <clears throat> I remember, uh, so I was in education, you know, a couple years before I went in education. And so, uh, so I remember back then they they taught, they were, it's <laughs> so embarrassing. It was a long time ago now. I'm regretting starting the story. But anyways, they, uh, one of the things that we learned was how to run, uh, it was called the Gestetner. Okay, I'm just curious. Who knows? Put up your head. Yeah, Jory, you don't count. Uh, my brother's been a teacher. Do you know what a Gestetner is? Does anybody else know what a Gestetner is? not outstanding. I know what a Gestetner is. And uh, what it is, it's, a, it's before photocopying machines, you would type on a particular, you don't laugh out loud, it was radical back then. You would type on a, on a particular piece of paper and peel it apart and then run it through and you could generate copies of it. <laughs> it was excellent. So, uh, so I had a course on, you know, running a Gestetner machine. <laughs> if any of you have troubles, you know who to talk to. <clears throat> now, I remember that and other courses just not caring. I didn't care. Other courses too, even more profound courses. I just didn't care. And then I had my first classroom and I had 30 grade nine kids staring at me. Man, did I care about everything that I ignored just a few months earlier. Because now I had people that I needed to love and serve. And as soon as the goal was clear, education wasn't something to tolerate. It was something that empowered me to love others better. I don't know how many of you are in engineering. 
could you do us all a favor and learn well? <laughs> we don't really want this thing coming down on us. We like the power to work. If you wouldn't mind learning well, we'd all appreciate that. You see, when love is your motive, education is invaluable. And when happiness is your moment, you're just squeaking by. When love is your mo motive, you want to work hard at work because you're serving people and even your boss and your fellow employees. You're serving, you're loving. And so you want to work hard. If happiness is your goal, you'll do the minimum to get your paycheck. What this new goal does is reframe where we direct our energy. Toward love or toward happiness? You know, it'd be great if you made some money. That would help people. That'd be great. Maybe it'd even be great if you were healthy. Whatever. I'm just saying that what we direct our energy towards is love. And when that motive shift changes, everything changes in our life. Everything. Final one is our enemy. And you can, this will be obvious now that we've gone through the first few. What's our new enemy? Our new enemy is the pursuit of happiness otherwise known as self-centeredness. Happiness sounds better though, so let's stick with that. It's our pursuit of happiness. Uh, Viktor Frankl is a psychologist who went through, he was in uh, Auschwitz in the, I think it was, or Dachau, I think it was Dachau actually. Uh, he went through the concentration camps in Germany and uh, he wrote on those experiences. And I'd like to read something. He talks about success and happiness, although he focuses on success. But it's, it's just all the same. Let me read you this quote. Don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. Isn't that profound? For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. It's like, oops, got happy. Sorry, I wasn't trying to. It just happened. That's what he's saying. Then you will see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. Happiness will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. What if the thing that needs to change this year in you and I, our goal for this year, right? Fall, we're starting, here we go, new classes, yay. 
What if, uh, what if the, what if the thing that's going to change this year is a new purpose, not a new action? And that purpose, that motive, is going to change everything you do, who you meet with, what you look at online, how you study, if you study. How much you work, why you work, all that would change by your Heavenly Father inviting you into one shift, a motive shift. True and lasting change, this is the good news and bad news in one sentence, true and lasting change is not cosmetic. It's a heart change. God says, I want to give you a heart of flesh that can give and receive love instead of a heart of stone that carries, cares very little about others and is mostly trying to be happy. Life becomes exciting because of love, not because of novelty. <clears throat> I concern myself that people come to church and read their Bibles now and then and try to do what Jesus says with a motive of happiness. And so what ends up happening is, uh, especially if you're leading a church, is you have to figure out how to make this new and exciting. You have no idea how hard it is to amuse you. Because I'm not that creative. It's just, uh, we should get new colored lights, Jonathan. That's going to bring the spirit for sure. <clears throat> and I loved how you changed up when we, you did the highlights. That's going to blow their minds. What? After the kids go? This is new. I am listening to your highlights now. I wasn't listening last week, but when you switched that up, you got my attention. You know, when, uh, when love is your motive, everything is amazing, even if it's boring. Because the presence of God is there. Because the Bible tells us that God is love. And if you make this shift this year, it will be a new year for you. If you've already made this shift... You can invite the presence of God to deepen and widen it in your life. And this becomes an outstanding year. Can we invite the worship team up? I'd like to, uh, I'd like to pray for us. And I'd like you to uh, wrestle through the invitation that's being offered you this morning. Would you respond to the command of God, not the suggestion of God, not the advice of God, the command of God. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Would you let that be your new life motive? I'll just sell it one more time. If you don't, 
life will grow increasingly complicated. And you'll be working through your family of origin issues. You will be working through your anxiety, like I do. You'll be working through all of these things. But what's mo and who, you know, why you don't like your friends, and you'll be, it just gets super tricky. Because all of that is a manifestation of a messed up motive. And my journey in life is to refine my motive to align it with my father's. And as I focus on that, that which is his righteousness, all these things are given as well. Father, I thank you so much that you made life simple. But we struggle to receive it. And so would you please work in our heart today to shift the reason why we study and work and play and marry and be single because we want to reflect the love of God. Father, work this in our hearts and all the things that fight against it. Defeat them by the power of your spirit that we could set, be set free to be known as the people who give and receive the love of God. Amen.